Well, I think the beauty of this show is that not only can you um, be factually correct, but you can also be a dick at the same time. So, um, yeah. I think that it works out perfectly. This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. But, well, here's the annoying thing about my sister is that she's so, she's so anti-Bridezilla that she's whatever the opposite of that is. That <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, I, Mothra. I, I did. Go. I think that was great. I think that, that was a great job. Police. Yeah. Fuck, fuck, fuck the police. <laughs> my 12-year-old my suburban white guy that thought he was real because he was into NWA and Easy e feels so cheated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are Two Sorry Excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? Hey, man, what's going on? Not much. Uh, just basking in the glow of the U.S. finally knocking off Ghana. U.S.A. 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 In world that is soccer. Where we are very excited because we beat a poor third world country. <laughs> well, I think that the U.S. chant um, is very indicative of how we not only feel about soccer, but how we feel about our chances in the World Cup. And I, I think the chant goes something like, "I believe that we, I believe that we can win." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were saying that tonight. Which is um, which is akin to. You know, kind of like eight-year-old wreck. You know, yeah. two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Bears, bears, go bears. <laughs> um, I'll say this much though. Uh, I made this observation with the people I was watching the game with. It's not the first time I've made this observation, but <laughs> uh, and maybe it's a controversial observation. Uh, especially with the soccer set. Uh, you can tell, like, 20-something years ago, like, what was it, 1990, the first time the U.S. was in the World Cup, and however long that was. Yes. And that was, like, the beginning of the modern U.S. soccer craze. Correct. Now, how Lily White was that team? Um, I, I think there was Kobe Jones back in the 90s. Uh, let me see who's on that 90s roster. Because Wallace, Tab Ramos, I've, uh, what was it, Tony Miola was the goalkeeper? Uh, those all sound about right. Um, let's see here. Uh, Tim Howard, 
That's the current goalie. Was on the team. Uh, no, he oh, no, 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 no. What, what's going He's on? He's our here? current goalie. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I clicked the wrong thing here. Um, so let's see. U.S. in the 90s. Uh, Tony Miola. John Harks. Yep, John Harks. Uh, Ramos. Uh, Eric Winalda. Um, let's see. Casey Keller was the backup goalie. Um, yeah, okay. I see where you're going. Well, this is my point. I mean, growing up for me, it was like the soccer was a sport played by, you know, middle class, usually upper middle class people. You know, it was an ex, it, even though soccer is intrinsically not an expensive sport, the way it was played at its, at its top levels in the United States is expensive because it involves a lot of travel. You know, right? And we would get our asses kicked constantly because the only people playing it were the effete, friggin' white kids, right? The kids that weren't playing football. Okay. You know, now you look at it and we're 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 not great, but we're better than we are, and the team is a hell of a lot more diverse than it used to be. You know, and and of course that was what it was going to take. I mean, we're still not there yet, but it takes people other than, you know upper-middle-class kids from New Jersey playing soccer for it to be successful for us to be any good at it. I mean, this isn't golf, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's funny that you mention that because I, I never understood um, how, like, so take take modern day. Um, take today's game. You know, yeah. you've, got a, you've got a team from Ghana. I yes. mean, you know, a third-world country. But they can field... You know, a first-class soccer team. Yep. That's because all you need, the only equipment you need is a ball. Yeah. So, like, no matter how poor your country is, no matter, you know, uh, no matter how uh, you are lacking in resources, that's that sport translates, you know, socioeconomic lines. I, I, that's a, And I never understood why it didn't, in the States... Where things like, you know, basketball is is you well, know is more you prominent. You're answering your own question. But then even take that urban aspect out of it. Take just take the you know the poor South. You know yeah. what did uh, Edron James from where's he from? He's Florida. I mean, he went to Miami, so I'm sure he's from the state of Florida. It's like an Okapachi. Is that? Yeah, he's probably from down there where they. I believe they call that area the Muck. Yeah. The sugar cane fields, where the great Ricky Jackson was from. He didn't have elect. Edwin James grew up without electricity in his house, but yeah. you know, was able to you know gravitate to a football field where you need you know tons of equipment and you know tons of resources. Um, I, I think maybe that's starting to change a little bit. I think now with like you know the cost of insurance, and I'm sure when Edwin James was coming up through you know the rural muck in Florida. The school district probably wasn't too concerned with, you know, with proper trainers or proper equipment or proper, you know, insurance. But, like, now that stuff doesn't slip through the cracks anymore. You know, it might be more lax down in the south where football's more prominent. But, you know, somebody's pointing a finger going, hey, wait a minute. Wait, my kid got hurt, you know. Well, I'll say this much, though. Football, people will find money. It gets support from the NFL, all that. 
you drive around New Orleans, and every school, no matter how poor that school is, they all have a football team. But that's also because there's a lot of reinvestment into making sure they have football teams by stuff like the NFL, organizations like the NFL. Um, and that's one of baseball's problems, and they're only finally getting around to putting money back into the inner city for baseball. They gave up on it. They gave up on the inner city like 40 years ago. Right. Which was stupid because players like Joe Morgan, you know, they had several guys who were from places like Oakland, you know? Yeah. And then baseball decided, oh, we can just go mine all the talent from the Caribbean and elsewhere, you know? And they just they just totally pulled out. I mean, I, mean, I, I remember seeing Joe Morgan on, I think, Real Sports bitching about that probably like 10 years ago. You know, about how baseball just totally gave up on it. Even though it was a commonly played sport in the inner city, they just gave they just ceded way to basketball and football, and we're like we're not going to deal with it for whatever reason, and just passed on having any uh, a large percentage of these great athletes go on. Turn on the College World Series and and see how many um, uh, black players you see play on any of the teams in the College World Series. You don't see too many. No, no. And even and even the historically black colleges. And have decent baseball teams, like who is it? Jackson State. I think they had a lot of uh, white and Hispanic guys on their team. You know, baseball. Baseball gave up on the inner city for a while, and the new th- what's it? I think it's called RBI, the new program they're starting, where they're rebuilding fields and stuff, and trying to trying to get this huge demographic. But as far as you were saying about, I think football is still going to be that way because it's something regardless of the future trauma there's a certain uh and there's a lot of people like down here most people are going to still keep putting their kids in football they don't care they love it you know well i think in addition um football is able to adapt and has adapted you'll see you know you go into into you know rural texas and the leagues are seven on seven teams instead yeah, of eleven six, on eleven. Yeah, they had seven on seven. They got six man football out in those places, like in the middle of nowhere. You know they have they you know they adapt to flag football. Yeah. Um, you know they change the the configuration of the field. You can't do that with baseball. You, you know you can't go. Okay, we're going to play five on five today. You yeah, know, I know where but they I did think- have diamonds everywhere. You know, I mean. It, it was the most popular game in the country. It used to be diamonds everywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they just let them go to waste. Like they, but but as far as the point about why it's not like that here with soccer, you look at the way basketball is played here. You know, that's the way it's played. That's the way soccer's played in Brazil. Right. You know, it's a game of the playgrounds. Like, like you go to New York City, you go to Rucker Park. They got the equivalent of that in Rio de Janeiro for soccer. You know, and I think that's how, I believe that's how the history, the genesis of the, uh, of the one name, like um, the monikers of the Brazilian players began, was the, the best place to play was like in the streets, you know, like in the rougher parts of town. And I think the story was that guys who were like from more, how you say, respectable families maybe, want to go play in there but they couldn't let people know what their real names were because because of their family relations you know right 
like that it was looked down upon. So that's how they came up with the tradition where these guys take on like a nickname and that's their name, you know, like Pele or Neymar and, and even the guy in the NBA, Nene. Said live to Sanders. <laughs> you might have to look that one up because I might just be talking out of my ass. But if I am talking out of my ass, it's a damn good story. No, I put it. Th- I'm going to cut that out because I don't. Uh, even if you are talking out of your ass, I don't think we should admit it. I think we go to the mattresses uh, with that as a factoid, not as a conjecture. Yeah. <laughs> so you watch the game. You watch it with uh, with fellow Pats. Yeah, I watched it with, like, two or three other people. I really thought I was going to get there for the second half. Because <laughs> uh, when I left my office, it was already finished the first half. Hell, the, Jacob, you know, like, he left office, like, an hour early to get home to make sure he could see it. And he texted me at 5.02, 6.02 your time. He's like, wow, that was, uh, you know, so I'm like, oh, whoa, glad I got home when I did, you know. And I had no clue what he was talking about. He responded, like, quickest goal ever. And I was like, oh, good. I don't have to watch the rest of the game. It's one to nothing. <laughs> and then, so I go over to my buddy's house, and they're watching the game. And I was like, good, that's it. Game's over. And and then I realized they had it on DVR. And I was like, oh, i got to sit here for another 50 minutes. <laughs> well, you had texted me. There's about... I said, I'm on my way home. I, was, I left right. I went to watch the game with my dad. Uh, so I texted you right when it ended, and you said, okay, I'm watching it on DVR. I got 20 minutes left. What? It Was it was it one nothing? Yeah, it was still one to nothing. And then Ghana scored. Because I know personally that, because I even checked my phone at one point, not knowing what was going on, it was one to nothing in the 77th minute. I think it was like in the 64th minute or something when I texted you. Okay, and I think the goals, both of the goals, were like in the late seventies and eighties, I believe. Yeah, eighty three, I think, was definitely one of them. But um, I watched it with with my dad, who um, is, is a pretty big sports fan. Like he'll, you know, he'll sit down and watch an entire Yankee game, and like you know, show emotion, and you know, yeah, talk to the screen, not in 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 fits, but you know, hey, great play, or oh, I can't believe it. But um, yep. soccer was his sport. He was an all-state soccer player um, in in high school. Uh, he played in college. He coached, um, you know, every team we played for growing up. You know, from everything from rec leagues to you know super competitive travel teams, etc. Um, and he allow me to interject, but everything you're saying right now is making sense because that's. What I remember in 1990 when they started pushing the soccer thing because lots of the players like Miola and Ramos were Jersey guys because yeah. Jersey was full of uh, lots of European immigrant families and they and so they were early adopters of soccer up there. I grew up and played with no less than three professional soccer players. Okay. Got guys who you know as a five or six year old you know playing through the the Pee Wee Rec League up till the travel teams had eventually gone on to win state championships in high school and um, you know played professionally and you know still live in and around town you know still keep in touch with the folks I kept up you know in touch with um, because there's not a lot of fame or notoriety or money associated with playing, you know, professional soccer 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, at this point, they've been retired for, 
for quite a while. But um, yeah, soccer was a huge Jersey was a huge hotbed for soccer, and um, you know my dad's a huge soccer fan, but knowledgeable as well. You know what I mean? Like so that I think that's a big difference with soccer and other sports. You might grow up playing it. So you kind of wonder why people don't have, you know, that doesn't stick with them, you know. But I, I think in terms of, like, the strategy, in terms of the nuances, you don't pick those up until you your skill level reaches the next you know level. what the hell's going on. Yeah. And I think it's very... like playing basketball when you're a little kid. You just run out there playing basketball. You don't have a clue what the hell's going on when you watch it. Right. But... Even as you get older, so let's say I was never a good basketball player, yeah. um, but I played you know little rec league basketball. But I can even as an adult, even though I don't, I'm no good and I don't even really like basketball. I at least can recognize like the athleticism or you know the superior play of a particular athlete. You know, so like I remember watching those um, Elijah Wan. Uh, David Robinson playoff games where Robinson um, just looked like he never played basketball before because Elijah one just tore him up with up and yeah. unders and ball fakes. Like I'm like, okay, I can't do that, but I res- I can understand that that's, that's a different level. I think with soccer, some of the things that you watch, even if you've played the game, like I grew up playing the game, I don't pick up on the certain thing on certain things, and my dad will be like, "Hey, did you see that?" And I was like, "No, no, what?" And he'll kind of break something down, and I'll be like, "Oh, okay, I understand." And I think that's the difference. I think that's why soccer doesn't catch on. It's not because it's played in a different country, which uh, you know, in in other countries, or was invented in another country, which has something to do with it. Not because the terminology is a little different. Not necessarily because it's slower or the scoring is less. All those things factor into it. But I think the average person, even though it's huge in the middle class, it's huge. People play soccer in America. I just don't think people appreciate it. It's something they do as a kid well, because it's there. Yes, I think it was a I think a lot of people were putting their kids in a soccer just because it was a safe alternative in their minds. Correct. Not because they're fans of it. Right. You know, I mean that's and uh I know I mean, I've read here and there over years how that's one of the um, the the issues they've been having is when are the people that follow soccer actually all the number of people that actually play growing up when is that going to translate into all those viewers? Yeah, and I think for that that reason it, it doesn't. And it won't ever. And I feel like every four years we get into this conversation, you know, as a sports yeah. uh, fan base of, okay, it's going to take off, or here's what it has, here's what has to happen for it to take off, or blah blah blah. But it's the same with NHL playoffs. Like everybody's a hockey fan, you know, yeah. for the NHL well, playoffs. I'll give the soccer people, at least the people running the professional league, this much credit now. At least they've realized that that's that 30,000, 40,000 person tops crowd is all they really have to go after. Yeah. You know, and they can fill those stadiums. And now they're building these soccer specific stadiums and wasting taxpayer money on that, too, which means (laughs) it's officially an American sport now that they're (laughs) 
And now the taxpayers are getting fleeced for soccer stadiums as opposed to trying to get them all to play in Giants Stadium, in the Coliseum, you know, because I think for too long, that's what it seems like the soccer people, the people in American soccer were trying to do. Right. You know? Yeah, well, because that's realize, the... Well, we got to go after a niche crowd. It's there's And now there are people that are nuts about it, but it's like go after the families, go after all that. You don't need to have 70,000 people at the games. You just need to have a good, hardcore group of people that really want to be there, and that's what they got. Yeah. yeah. It's just like the WNBA. They found their niche with uh, little girls and lesbians. <laughs> and that's true. <laughs> they they market heavily towards the lesbians now. <laughs> I, was, I mean, it sounds like I'm just being a dick, but it's true because <laughs> they, they realize at a certain point, all right, your average Joe blows viewing sports and gone to sports doesn't care about the women's league. We got to just go after who we know we'll be interested in. So you get, you'll get, you can end up getting the fathers out there because they want to take their daughters to see girls playing basketball. And, and it is a fact, lesbian sports fans love the WNBA. Well, I think the beauty of this show is that not only can you um, be factually correct, but you can also be a dick at the same time. So um, yeah. I think that it works out perfectly. Um, but you know what? Um, I read a survey in terms of uh, American sports fans. Uh, the only thing they find more boring um, than soccer is listening to idiots talk about soccer. Yeah, well, but we we're just maligning it. Um, <laughs> uh, what else you got going on? My father has. I just want to say. Yeah, like, yeah. It's funny that you went to watch the game with your father. It's like. But, you know, the only way I'd ever watch the game with my father is if it just happened to be on. He happened to walk in the room while it was on. (laughs) He has about as much interest in soccer, you know, as I do in the WNBA. (laughs) Which goes back to one of my favorite jokes that I came up with years ago. I was probably the first two years in the league. I asked my buddy, I was like, hey, you know who won the WNBA title last year? He's like, no, no. Who? I said, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) That's how my dad views soccer. It's like, hey, do you know who won the World Cup? I don't give a damn. (laughs) He knows that Italy's good at it because he loves anything Italian. Right. Doesn't mean he has an interest in it. He just knows they're good at soccer. Right, right. Um, But, yeah, moving right along now. Uh, what else you got going on? How's your weekend? It was all right, you know. I mean, what did I do? Nothing too, uh, too, too exciting. Jeez. Uh, you prepping for your wedding? You got a wedding coming up. Yeah, I'm heading to that Friday. So I did do a little bit more garden party shopping. Um, all right, yes. yes. So you were explaining this to me. Um I don't know when I would have been explaining that to you. This is the first time we've talked in two weeks. <laughs> don't pull, don't pull the curtain back, man. Don't pull the yeah, curtain back. This is extemporaneous. Breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> um, so you're going to a wedding in DC. You've been planning on this for a while. You yeah, technically it's in Maryland. So I get the well, a couple of things. I get the invite. That was probably March or April, whenever the invite came in. It's a it's a buddy's wedding. Yeah, it was a guy I went to law school with. 
Benjamin Danger Sislin. Danger is his nickname. <laughs> his middle name, so to speak. Uh, okay. Uh, Marion, this girl named Elizabeth. Well, here's the first thing. Let me get, before I get to the story about, you know, how I'm supposed to look at this wedding, I get the invite, and uh, and I open it up, and it's got the RSVP card in the envelope. And I look at it, I'm like, it has no stamp on it. I'm like, this cheap son of a bitch. He's expecting me to pay my own postage and send him the RSVP. <laughs> That's a wedding faux pas, man. Yeah, so I texted one of my buddies down here. I was like, and I, I said something. I was like, I was like, this cheap, <laughs> 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 this cheap bastard can't spring for the stamps. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I didn't have a stamp on my uh, RSVP envelope. He's like, oh, I got one of mine. So then I texted something to the groom, and he calls me back. And the funny thing is, when I got the wedding invitation, the envelope looked like it was ripped. And I remember looking at it like, I was like, was somebody trying to open this? You know, like, who the hell is trying to, you know, what kind of criminal is going after wedding invitations? You know, right. I guess maybe real life wedding crashers could be gone after. All right. But uh, he calls me back. He's like, here's what happened. He's like, uh. Elizabeth and I, we finished all the invitations, and we sealed them, all of them, and we realized we had leftover stamps. <laughs> so then we realized that there was probably about 10 invites that we didn't end up putting the stamps on the RSVP card. So my, my invitation was the trial balloon. So Elizabeth decides, she's like, well, we'll just boil water and steam open the envelopes. <laughs> He's like my Dartmouth educated wife <laughs> thought this was gonna work. So they go with mine, of course, that only works in movies and television. Right. It, once the thing's sealed, it's sealed. And so that's why. And he's like, he's like, so I'll take this as your RSVP. You don't have to send in the car. <laughs> I sent it in anyway. Yeah, because you know what's going to happen is there's going to be a snafu. You're going to be of left course. off. Um, how much did it cost you? What, for the stamp? Yeah. Yeah, I got one for my mom, so <laughs> <laughs> free. Uh, so, uh, but I get the invitation and I look at it and I'm like, all right, cool. And it says, garden party attire. So, what what do you think when you see the term "garden party attire"? I th I automatically think I only think of one thing uh, is it's Ricky the Ricky Nelson song. Well, yeah, garden party the song, yes, but I but I knew it wasn't that. So uh, I would assume that you would have to be wearing, um, like uh, some bell bottoms and a butterfly <laughs> collared shirt from the seventies when that song came out. Carrying a if, guitar. If you look at the YouTube video, the way he's dressing it. No, but what I think, since I know it's not a reference to dress like Ricky Nelson at, <laughs> at, during his resurgence in the late 70s. Uh, <laughs> my thing is, like, I'm like, what the fuck is garden party attire? You know? Yeah. So naturally, I start Googling garden party attire. And um, basically, garden party attire means... Dressed like Thurston Howell the <laughs> Third. 
kids out there, Thurston Howell III is the old man, the old rich man on uh, Gilligan's Island, <laughs> who's always walking around in a blazer and white pants of some sort. But that's basically dressing like you're hanging out on a yacht is garden party attire. So naturally, I need to acquire garden party attire since I'm not a garden party attire guy. So, um, so I went out and I got some light blue pants, whatever. I tried the stuff on last night just to see how it looked. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I should live my life in garden party attire because I, <laughs> I look a hell of a lot better in that than I do in my regular clothes. Uh, so the only thing is I'd have to start investing. I couldn't wear the same jacket. What's the, um, so what's the full ensemble? Well, it's going to be a kind of a faded blue linen jacket with an orange shirt, uh, light blue pants. I found some sweet orange socks, uh, brown penny loafers. They say you got to wear loafers. <laughs> uh, I'm wearing my snowball belt with it. And, um... You know, the only issue is the shirt. It's it's light fabric, but it is long sleeve, and I'll be wearing the jacket over it. So I'm going to bring up one of these orange polo shirts in case I need to uh, make a uh, a last-minute change for the weather. Is the is the party, it's an outdoor party? It's going to be outdoors, yeah. Ah, uh, that's a rough one I for... Mean, the, the, I wasn't worrying so much about wearing a jacket because I figured that's probably going to come off at a certain point anyway. And right. it's like light dress shirt. You know, it's not it's not like one of these heavy Oxfords, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, uh, but my fashion consultant told me I consider consider the shirt since I'm hot. I was like, well, in that case, I'll pack one of the polo shirts because apparently that is part of garden party attire is wearing a polo with a jacket generally that is not uh that is too casual for a wedding <laughs> according to according to the internet <laughs> uh, well i mean the internet but, uh, never, the internet so never anyway, lies garden party attire all right um now when i go to no too, it does not when yeah. i go to two sorry excuses.com um and i and i click on our amazon.com Link and I search for garden party attire. Uh, hey, 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 yeah, man. yeah, I'm getting reverb. Um, okay, you sound okay to me, and we're still recording, so um, all right, you sound okay to me now. I just want to make sure we weren't having any errors like we had in episode two, I believe. It was so long ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, yeah, we no. moved past that. No, we're good. Um, I think we, we right. should be fine. Um, but when I go to the, when I go to two sorry excuses and then I click on our Amazon link and Google garden party attire, yes, I get a bunch of Hawaiian shirts for men and then a bunch of like garden party dresses for women. So I imagine you're going to see a lot of women in like, um, you know, kind of longer sleeveless, like sundressy kind of things. Yeah, but oh uh, yeah, I'm sure that's see women. It's easy garden party for one. Usually, when you look at dress codes, they're usually geared towards women. Yeah, I think you're gonna get a whole mix and match of dudes. 
Because, I mean, to be honest, how many of the things that you're going to wear did you have to go out and buy? Well, that's me. We're going to a wedding full of people from Metropolitan D.C. Yeah. I mean, you probably I'm... wake up dressed like that. <laughs> well, here's people who people who comfortably and casually, like basically Mike Cuddy's. True. True. You know, you know, there's certain people. There's a lot of people down New Orleans who just dress like that every day. You know. Yeah. I mean, all the attorneys, right? Well, of course, all the attorneys. That's that's a given. Yeah. <laughs> so why did you go? Um, why didn't you just go with seersucker suit? Well, for one, I just bought a new one, and he told me I didn't want to ruin it. And this this guy's kind of wild, and I'm imagining when he tells me it's going to be ridiculous and outrageous, <laughs> I better just be prepared not ruin the brand new seersucker suit. The Plus, w- I feel like it might be overdressed, you know? The wedding is going to be ridiculous and outrageous? Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I've hung out with his dad before. You know, and if, and if the rest of the family's like his sixty-something-year-old dad, you know, oh, I wonder it if be, it could be Blackout City, and uh, and I've seen what happens to me in nice clothes when it's Blackout City. I wonder if his, uh, I wonder if his wife will have anything to say about that. I mean, she's marrying him. Yeah, that's usually when it starts to go downhill. <laughs> I mean, she knows what she's getting. Yeah, unfortunately, I think sometimes though they think that that uh, is the uh, that is the uh, signal for things to change. But all I know, yeah, maybe maybe later on. But all I know is that I don't have to wear a tie, and that's all that matters to me. <laughs> I went through a phase. Um, it was my uh, while I was in Curacao in my post Curacao phase, where I refused to wear ties. Um, to weddings, which was fine because I had a linen suit that I wore. Um, you know, if I didn't have a linen suit, at least I had some type of, um, you know, ensemble that accentuated my Caribbean flair, you know, my tan. Yeah. Um, I was in relatively good shape. So it, it kind of offset itself. People hadn't seen me in a while. So, you know, the topic of conversation was, hey, where you been? Not why don't you have a tie on? Yeah. But as I started to reacclimate myself to the areas, you know, as I became local again, as I got pale or fatter and older, um, mm-hmm. I was just that guy who looked like he couldn't fit a tie around his neck. Yeah. You know, can't button the top button of your shirt. Right. So it was no longer a statement. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was a sorry state of affairs. So, um, I've gone back to wearing the ties. Something, um, you know, pretty fashionable, at, you know, at least. Like, the last wedding I went to that I didn't have to wear a tux was um, black suit, maybe gray shirt, black tie. Okay. You know, that's kind of in now. That's kind of like the yeah. thing. So I mean, I didn't wear a tie when I went to, to Mike Peters' wedding, but it was a Cape Cod wedding. I wore a blazer and an open-collar shirt with... With slacks. Oh, that that was the same wedding you took your shirt off at. <laughs> yeah, same one I took my shirt off at. Yes, <laughs> same wedding that got me banished from other events that I probably would be going to anyway. Oh, you know <laughs> that wedding—the one where my nice shirt was destroyed. 
But I took but I took my shirt off. How far into the wedding did your shirt come off? The shirt never came off. How far into the wedding did Guy rip the buttons off your shirt? I mean, I don't know. That could have been five minutes into the wedding, knowing the way Guy drinks. How did you, what did you do the I rest of the I didn't know we were out dancing or whatever, I, and Guy comes up to me and goes, rip! You know? What, and how did you, how did you recover? Did you, did you even recover? I mean, some of it, some of it was able to button a little bit, you know? Okay. Like it did, like it, it ripped, a couple of the buttons ripped off, but it wasn't, I wasn't a run around shirtless, you know? <laughs> it's not like all of a sudden I was like the Incredible Hulk, or, or more appropriately, Bruce Banner after he wakes up from being the Incredible Hulk. You know, like, what happened? Mike Peters' wedding was a series of events from bachelor party on to the night before his wedding to straight on through to the to this incident that we're talking about. The the bachelor party started. We did the bachelor party backwards. We went to like, you know, traditional typical, you know, bachelor party fair on a Friday night and then got up and drove in a van to go canoeing on a Saturday morning. Okay. Which, Where'd you go? New Hampshire? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wasn't up there obviously because I was back in Louisiana at the time. The 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 party started Saturday morning with us finding a pair of soiled underwear in the garbage can. Gross. Absolutely gross. But if you're talking about the group of guys that you're with, there's no shame to it. There's it's gross, but there's no need to hide it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I have. I have shit my own pants in front of this group of people more than one occasion and have felt no need to hide it. You're talking about Mike Peters, Brian Peters, Cuddy, uh, Mike Reardon, Sean Reardon, Steve McCarthy, Mike Drew. I mean, this is a group of guys who they've seen, we've each seen each other at our worst. So we're, we're kind of gathering up and somebody goes, hey, Whose shitty pants are in the are in the garbage can? Because whoever did it put them in the garbage can uh, in the bathroom, and everybody was just kind of like you know, kind of laughed, giggled, like, and turned to see who the next dude was, you know, who did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But nobody fessed up. But there were only two guys on the bachelor party who weren't friends of of eleven oh six. They were Peter's buddies from home. So obviously okay. we deduced that it must have been one of these guys. Yeah. So like we kind of let it go after a while, realizing that we're probably making somebody feel really, really uncomfortable. Like Matt Ferris or somebody like that? No, it wasn't even Ferris. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of guys I can't even remember their names. Yeah, guys, like, guys from Sandwich High School that never did... Uh, wind their way into the hearts of the 1106 guys. Exactly. Unlike Ferris. Never came up, never, you know, we heard their names in passing, maybe from like a homecoming, you know, a high school homecoming party or something or whatever. Yeah. So we, 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 we let it go, mostly because it wasn't worth making somebody feel embarrassed about it. You know what I mean? We didn't know him well enough. He wasn't going to fess up to it, so he wouldn't have been part of the joke. So it was done. But kind of the point of my story is that that, is enough to get somebody branded for life. But it's a forgotten story in the series of events because 
there was one more ridiculous event after another that dwarfed the guy who shit his own pants and threw him in the garbage can. Yeah. Now, you've got to get pretty big in order to make that guy a non-story. Yep. And it did. It got pretty big. It ended with Mike Cuddy going into the hospital for what he uh, claimed was um, water poisoning. Oh, at the uh, bachelor party? At, at the bachelor party. Water intoxication. Okay. And in between, there were several more um, pant shittings. Um, we, we encountered a wild horse. Um, we almost, you know, we had to camp on this horrible island. So it was a really eventful and a really memorable, um, a really memorable series of, of mishaps. Which kind of goes to the Mike Peters wedding story of you yeah. are so far down the list of, uh, you know, of egregious behavior that it really doesn't even register unless maybe your guy or unless you're me, you know, kind of recounting that story. So, you know, I don't even remember the details of, okay, your shirt got ripped, but I, I can't didn't even re- think it was the biggest deal in the world. I was pissed my shirt got ripped. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing. And uh, it's, it's like probably a handful of people even remember that happened. Unfortunately, um, you know, one of them is Mike Cuddy, who probably will never let you forget it, but what are you going to do? Yeah, well, I don't care. I mean, big deal. I'm well, over that. Well, clearly you care, because now you've modeled your entire wardrobe after Mike Cuddy. Yeah, well, I don't have salmon pants yet. <laughs> so, uh, well, hell, do you remember what happened at Mike, uh, at, at Mike Peters' when at the hotel the night? Oh. <laughs> like Brian, I happened to be in the room next door, so I didn't know what was going on. But you know, because we were all up and stuff, uh, Brian and Carla, whoever else, they got kicked out of the hotel. Yeah, Mike Peters on his wedding night got kicked out yeah, of the hotel. And the, um, some bikers were riding their motorcycles in the hotel. <laughs> Do you remember that? I remember that guy. Um tackled Mike Drew in through a bathroom door. Yeah. And the, and the place was full because it was like the last weekend of the summer. Yeah. You know, last good weekend. So all these families were there just looking to celebrate. And it had the biker assholes and the wedding assholes, <laughs> which we were part and parcel of. You know, the, the wedding worst. assholes. Meanwhile, the bikers, a crew, guy was cruising down the lobby in his motorcycle. <laughs> it was like out of a movie, man. I went back several years later. It was it was the Holly Hog where I came up with uh, Vito Palumbo and my brother Josh, and the one where you had to be supported by the tree. <laughs> yes, the one where I had to be supported by the tree. The one that's the one of the photos for the About Us on TwoSorryExcuses.com. If, if you go to TwoSorryExcuses.com and click on the About Us button, um, that picture is. The Holly Hog Golf Tournament in Massachusetts on Cape Cod that we're speaking of, um, and it's it's indicative of exactly what happened on that night. It's a it's a shirtless live, a pale shirtless live, drinking a Coors Light, propping me. Um, I'm I can barely keep my eyes open, and for some reason, <laughs> I'm soaked, but just from the waist down. Yep. 
I don't know what There's the... no chance of me ever being a well-tanned shirtless lady. Because <laughs> no matter how many times I hang outside without my shirt, I never get any sun. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a blessing, I guess, you know? Because I'm also not blown up in flames the way Sean Creedon would if he goes shirtless. <laughs> well, when I went back up for that hog weekend, I, um, I registered under a pseudonym. <laughs> on the off chance that they would remember that I was part of the infamous Mike Beaters party. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm checking in John Holmes, room for one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, wait, back to the garden party. You've got your garden party attire. You're flying into where? Uh, Dulles Airport? BWI. Oh, BWI, all right. That's a pretty good yeah. airport to fly into, easy to get in and out of. Um, yeah, and then how are you traveling around? Somebody picking you up? Well, yeah, we're trying to figure all that out, what time they're going to. See, uh, a couple other guys are flying in like a day or two earlier and whatever. There's a little controversy, but I'm going to make do. There's all like, oh, we'll pick you up. Uh, you'll be fine. And, you know, striking the text message the other day about plans being changed. I'm like, well, I'm coming in Friday at 1030 something. Which isn't the real killer because I know it's probably really going to be eleven thirty something because I haven't been on a plane in a decade that's gotten anywhere on time. Right. <laughs> um, but he's like, well, I don't think we're going to get that through there until two thirty. So that's the guys whose house I was just at, and we were discussing that. And I'm like, yeah, I know how to work a train system. I can get up and go somewhere. That's not a big deal. But just tell me when the fuck are y'all going to come by because y'all got to pick my ass up. So we can head down to the wedding. You know? Right. So so that's not the that's not such an issue there. And then of course they're like, well, on the way back, we're gonna do such and such. My plane doesn't leave till nine thirty at night on Sunday. Okay. And and I have other friends up there that I'm that I'm hoping to see. I was like, screw it. I was like, I'll find my way back to DC. Go meet up with those friends. And I've been to countries where I can't even speak the damn language and figure out how to work the mass transit. Right. So I think I can figure out how to get from D.C. back to BWI. You know? I've already figured it out. I went on looked at the train schedule. I was like, it's like six bucks. Big deal. You know? It's not like I'd be the first guy doing it, but, but it does kind of piss me off when people change up plans on you like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so... Because he's like, well, I'm going to go brunch with my cousin. I was like, well, I want to hang out with the guy that got married still a little bit, you know. But I know somebody from there will be heading up, up, you know, back up to the city, you know. Yeah. So that's not a big deal. I've already dealt with that. I was like, all right, I'll just hitch a ride with somebody, go back up. And I have 930. Uh, even if I'm a moron, I'll have plenty of time to figure out how to how to get from one place to the other, you know. Yeah. Yeah, DC is uh, easy to get around, especially, especially if you're talking from you know the airports and yeah, the major right. points you know, like, in the region. Last time I did any uh, anything other than sit in the airport in DC was when I was just about eight years old. My brother went to West Point briefly, and w- so we drove him up there, 1984, 30 years ago, and we were in DC for a day. We went to the Smithsonian, you know, took a picture with a Ronald Reagan cutout. Everything was good. <laughs> So I haven't been there. That was the first and only time I went. So I would like to actually at least walk around town for a little bit, you know? Yeah. 
go take my, uh, you know, go take, you know, the standard making the Washington, taking a picture so it makes it look like the Washington Monument's your penis pic. (laughs) 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 I assume that's standard operating procedure. That is standard operating procedure. What an essential picture everybody must take. But, uh, But I did get an email from the, from the, uh, bride last week, you know, for this garden party attire wedding. And it was telling us about the Friday night events and how everybody's invited to come to the rehearsal on Friday night. Uh, and it had a, another dress code in there. <laughs> <laughs> this wedding sounds like a real doozy, dude. Yeah. And it said, uh, dress code is going to be backyard barbecue casual. If you don't know what that is, Google it. <laughs> That's what it said. He's straight up. I'm quoting. <laughs> so of course, I Googled it. But uh, they don't have that much about Googling that for men, whatever. But actually, first thing I did, I was like, I texted my buddy Ben. I'm like, what's up with you and all the niche, nuanced <laughs> dress codes? And he, he's like, I'm sorry. I wish I could take credit for calling shorts and flip-flops backyard BBQ casual, but I cannot. So I assumed it was something his wife came up with. Right. Uh, or his future wife. But no, he's like, I was like, oh, uh, I figured that was something Elizabeth wants to come up with. He's like, no, wedding planners. I'm like, wait, you're paying somebody to come up with bullshit dress codes? <laughs> <laughs> you're coming up, you're paying somebody to come up with flowery names for shorts and flip flops? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a scam. Yeah. He, he's like, well, it's not just that, it's all kinds of other stuff, but that's part of it, you know? It's like you just can't tell a wedding planner because they look down upon that, I guess. So they're like, we got to give it a, a, a title. Right, yeah. right. Oh, it's such a scam. I've been, you know, for the for the last year, I've been working with that florist, um, yeah. you know, doing my wedding consultation um, project, and um, it's an absolute scam. All that goes into making a wedding. If you take that money and invest it in property, it goes a lot further than it does for. Uh, your wedding day party, that's for sure. Well, funny thing you're mentioning that, because this morning I saw a report on the news, on the, the local more news, it was talking about the average cost of a wedding, and um, I think New York, it said, is the most expensive state. It cost $85,000 on average for a wedding in New York. Ridiculous. In Louisiana, it was about 17th. I think they said 35000 or something. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe, well, let's see. Um, but how ridiculous is that? I'm trying to see if I have the, if there's a news article about it because there must be since this was on TV today. Um, well, here's some. What is this? Uh, they got several articles on the cost of weddings, but it's it is preposterous to spend that. the The crazy thing is, a it's ridiculous amount of money to spend on it anyway. You know. Uh, do you ever listen to, you ever, you know Jim Gaffigan is? Yes. And yes. the other night they were showing one of his stand-ups, and he was talking about the ridiculousness of weddings, and how you guys spend all this money to pretend like your daughter's a princess, you know, just <laughs> like how absurd the whole wedding thing is itself. I mean, but I mean, you kind of got to give over to it when you're a man, big deal. 
you know? Yeah. You deal with it. I don't want any backlash from the people who are like, oh, you're a jerk. But, you know, <laughs> if I get married, I'll deal with it because that's what you do. Right. But when you think about the, uh, when you think about the divorce rate. Yeah. It makes it that. I went to a buddy of mine's wedding years ago and it was ridiculous. No expense was spared. That thing was over in two years. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be an inverse proportion for the amount of money you spend on the wedding and the likelihood that you'll that you'll get divorced or the likelihood that it will succeed. The more that you spend, I guarantee the lower the success rate of that marriage. You know, maybe divorce lawyers should start sponsoring the weddings. <laughs> you know? What really blows me away is when you see these people who, um, people who are like on their second, third, fourth wedding there and they're having big weddings. Right. Like, how many times are you going to spend a bunch of money on this bullshit ceremony? You know, the first time is all right, cool. Second time, all right, maybe spend a little bit. But, like, you're getting to the third time and you're still having a big wedding and you're buying a new dress? Come on. Yeah, by that point, the cat's out of the bag. Literally. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, it's so over the top. Uh, let's see. Let's see. I'm coming across trying to find the thing about the cost of these weddings because it is absurd there it is I'm going to send this to you right now so you can look at it this was from Parade Magazine just recently it's not it's it's a little older by like about four weeks from the stuff I was telling you about so I don't know if it's the same up to date but sometimes with these little BS news items like that it takes a while for them to work their way around the mainstream news yeah, this is my this is up to date. Louisiana's thirty five thousand. New York is eighty six thousand nine hundred sixteen dollars. Massachusetts is conservatively thirty five thousand dollars for an average win. I'm surprised it's only thirty five thousand. It's the same mass as it is in Louisiana. Yeah, I um, Jersey fifty one. Yeah, well, of course, because it's. That's that's a deal. That's where you go if you're a cheapskate. You don't want to get married in New York, apparently, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look how out of whack New York is compared to everyone else. Even the ridiculous states are only in the 50s and 40s. Yeah, this is insane. No data from Montana. Yeah. See, you got to think. Like, you look at Louisiana, 35,000. Mississippi, 17,329. You got to think the New Orleans market is driving that price up. Because outside of New Orleans, Mississippi and Louisiana are basically the same fucking state. <laughs> <laughs> same with Alabama, which is 22,083. You know, most southern states are completely the same unless you have like a major city in them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so. So it is ridiculous. I want to know what the hell they're spending that money on. That's even nine thousand more, nine thousand higher than the the average in Georgia. What the hell are they spending their money on, Louisiana? I love that they combined North and South Dakota. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about no respect. Yep. Montana gets no data. Um, we're not I, available. I imagine an average wedding in Montana probably costs about twenty five dollars, though. <laughs> I mean, think about the people that live in Montana. They're not spending money on that. That's true. That's you true. Know? 
They're all like militiamen up there. Militiamen, Ted Turner, and David Letterman. That's the only people who live in Montana. Um, now, for some reason, okay, so now Jersey, they only have the north and central regions um, because, remember, we talked about this a little bit, um, the social yeah. class um, and geography of New Jersey, where yep. southern Jersey is very poor. Um, I wonder if, see, they don't even have Delaware, so they must have... Yeah. They see, must New York, have, they only have Manhattan, but they were saying it was 85000 on TV, but it might still be 85000 for the state itself. Right. Considering the fact that the the Manhattan wedding market has to make up 90% of the weddings in, in New York State. Um, well, Detroit's got $31,000 average. Who's got $31,000 in Detroit to be throwing a wedding? I think you need to spend it on all the protection. <laughs> the security detail. Uh, yeah. My sister just got married. I have no idea how much they spent, but we are a no-frills family. Yeah. Like, there was no... Very little pomp and circumstance growing up. Like, um, you know, we were your average middle class. Um, yeah. There were four of us. I went to private high school. We all went to college. You know, at one point, you know, while my dad was still kind of middle management, he took, you know, part-time job, real Walter White-ish kind of, yeah. kind of deal, working um, with a pool. Um, started cooking his own meth. Co- yeah. Started cooking his own meth. Um, no, real similar. He started working for like a pool. Actually, um, he was from New Jersey. He was probably cooking his own suntan oil. Huh? <laughs> um, well, he's an engineer, so he took yeah. a job with uh, like a pool um, supply company. Okay. You know, like selling pool supplies and stuff like that. So it was, you know, it was on the uh, outskirts of of you know his professional. Um, focus, but still, it, you know, he he could understand it. He knew what he was doing. So, but yeah. it was just a weekend job or whatever. Uh, and then eventually, his time went on, and you know, he rose to upper management, and you know, started working for really big companies. Um, you know, his career kind of took off, and you know, the family finances were able to recover from four kids in college. Were able to recover, you know, from helping this kid do this or helping this kid do that. Um, so, my sister. You know, she she got married at the right time. You know, if she had gotten married way earlier, maybe there wouldn't have, you know, been enough. Or maybe if she yeah. waited a lot longer, you know, my dad would have been in retirement mode. But at this point, you know, he still has active income and he still, you know, does consulting and working and stuff. And they were just going crazy. Like, they went out and chose the, the, the wedding venue came with tablecloths. Like when you you rent a, a venue, okay, yeah. we're gonna have twenty tables, okay. We put tablecloths on them. My sister went out and got different tablecloths. She's like, "That's not good enough." That's not good enough. Which yeah. is so not my sister. Allegedly, like Bridezilla. Allegedly, so not my sister. But well, here's the annoying thing about my sister is that she's so she's so anti Bridezilla. That she's whatever the opposite of that is. That Mothra. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, Mothra. I, I did. I think that was great. I think that, that was a great job. Uh, it, it broke my train of thought. I have no idea what I was going to say because that was very clever, my friend. Well. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you were making the point about her, uh, her desire to, to be the complete opposite of Bridezilla. Which turned into her essentially being a form of Bridezilla. You know, it's like the opposite yeah. of, you know... Yeah, like, um, it was like the episode of Spongebob I was watching once, where Plankton, the little evil guy, was trying to control Spongebob, and he's telling him, you gotta be aggressive, you know? And then, uh, and then he realizes so Spongebob is becoming a jerk and taking stuff from people, and then he realizes they shouldn't be listening to Plankton, and he's like, I gotta change everything. He's like, but what happens, what if I become aggressively nice to everybody? <laughs> So the complete opposite is just being the overwhelming, annoying people with your niceness. Exactly. Yes. So whatever the opposite of Bridezilla is. Right. It caused just, it wreaked just as much havoc. Yeah. And I'm sure you were pissed because you're like, I never got new, uh, new tablecloths for my wedding. That's right. Because that was the number one. Vita, why didn't you, (laughs) why didn't you put the bill for that? <laughs> and really, that's what it came down to. That's really what it came down to. Yeah. Oh, good times. Good times. Good times. Good times. So you got your garden party. You're all set. You're gonna head down to DC. You're gonna whoop it up with uh, crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland's yeah. about. And the good thing is, I can basically wear backyard BBQ casual to travel there and come back. So I don't really need to pack anything. Sweet. Since my default, since apparently all this time, you know, for the past. You know, thirty something years of my life, I've been dressing in backyard <laughs> casual, friggin' every time I'm free. You're a rehearsal dinner waiting to break out. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna come up with a new name for that if I get married. You know, that'll be, uh, you know, <laughs> sitting around the park playing checkers wear. <laughs> <laughs> When I drive home a certain way, I always see these guys set up in the street, you know, a group of men set up there. I think that's what they're playing as checkers. They're all sitting around the table playing a game. Uh, But I, you know, I can't really tell. And it's not exactly a crowd I'm comfortable enough to just get out of my car and be like, hey, fellas, what game you all play? Um, (laughs) You know, it's like outside of like a little uh, corner store. You know, it's it's not exactly an area I feel comfortable wading into, but I but I so want to know: is it checkers or is it cards? What are they playing? My guess, if I had to guess, would be dominoes. That's what I. Yeah, sorry, I I totally screwed up. I really believe it's dominoes, but I can't see it that it's dominoes. Right. I know it's not checkers. But my, it's dominoes or maybe some type of card game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they are, they are sitting around playing, and there's like 20 other guys just standing around. You know? So I assume it's dominoes, but I want to make sure it's dominoes. But I know you don't go fuck with people in their domino games. Well, there was a point when I was in Curacao. I was on a it – was, it was part of a long run. Maybe like eight months down there without a vacation. Yeah. And um, it was also during a very comfortable period. You know, one of the one of the high ends of you're making new friends. Maybe there's a new batch of Dutch people in. Maybe, you know, there's a couple new Americans in. And you start to really, like, kind of own the island. Yeah. 
it was also probably during the height of a party run as well, but um, I sat down uninvited to a Domino's um, match, I guess. Yeah. Back at the gas station that I used to, uh, that I would get gas at, there was a little, like, hut, and a bunch of old dudes sat and played Domino's every day. And I don't know why I thought it would be a good idea, but I got out of my car, parked my car, got out, sat down, and invited myself into their game. Um, I didn't last very long. Yeah. What what were they playing? Um, I I don't know the 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 style, but it's you know it's essentially the one where you where you just need to clear your your hand. Okay. See, um, they weren't putting bids like thirty two or you know. No, no, no. I've played that style as well. See, that's what my buddies play, and so often I'm hanging out with them, and they're like, "Let's play." And I never pick up on it because I really don't like it. Yeah. And they know how to play it straight up so everything comes way more natural to them. So, you know, they'll tell me what to do, but it's like, you know, it's like trying to tell somebody how how to ride a bicycle or whatever. It's when you know how to do it, you know, intrinsically know how to do it, it's harder to tell somebody what to do, you know? Yeah. Um... I'm so not good at. I don't at, enjoy it that much. I'm not good at card games. I'm not good at, you know. I don't like poker. Because I, I can't calculate things in my head like people can. But when I was down in Curacao, we played with a bunch of people um, who taught us how to play. I, I lived with this dude um, who was my uh, a guy I knew from Jersey. He was one of my former students. He had come yeah. down, um, and he and I kind of went everywhere that was a date night. He, he was my date. So our neighbors were a couple. Uh, we hung yeah. out with this other couple. And then there was another couple. And what I found is when we would play games, especially when it came to strategic bidding games or um, some type of shared information game, we did so much better than mixed uh, couples. Even if we didn't know or weren't strong enough at the strategy because two dudes think like two dudes. Yeah, yeah. So if you went to one of those domino games where all those guys had their wives as partners and you teamed up with a guy who was of similar um, skill level as you, yep. I bet you would do particularly well and it would reinforce your desire to play the game because that's what ended up happening because he and I could think like each other. Could think yeah. like a dude would think, and it was an advantage because this guy and his girlfriend, or this guy and his wife, yeah, sure, they may have lived together or they may have played together before, but like they they weren't on the same page. So okay. we started to get good, and we developed you know our own little strategy, and then it then we wanted to play more. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, we play, you know, we play two on two. You know, it's two guys versus two guys in that. Instance though you're it you're at the disadvantage again yeah, because it's nullified. yeah it's nullified exactly yep. but exactly. um and then the only other time I really remember playing dominoes uh you know it was like junior year and for some reason I didn't go on spring break that year 
So I, I believe Pat Higgins didn't go in spring break, and this other girl didn't go. So we sat around playing dominoes and watching the NCAA tournament. And it was like, oh, man, dominoes is cool. It was the different type. I guess it's the one where you're just connecting them. Yeah, yeah, you're you know, just trying like to clearing clear your, your, yeah. clearing your dominoes. And that, that was a lot more fun, in my opinion, in my memory. I had... I enjoyed that version of Domino so much more than like 32 or Texas, whatever they call it, you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, and so besides that, my only experience with Domino's was that it was Domino's were meant to be set up and make something and knock them all down, <laughs> you know? And that's what Domino's was to me until I saw boys in the hood and ice cube goes Domino motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You remember that? I do remember that. You remember, I do. When Don, you remember when Ice Cube used to play anti-authoritarian figures <laughs> if he was cast in a movie? Now his dad's taking their daughters to uh, check out colleges, or he's a cop, you know, which he's been multiple times. 22 Jump Street, he's like the chief or the captain or whatever, and he had that movie Ride Along. Like, now he's the picture of authority. <laughs> You know, the guy who was in the group that sang Fuck the Police. Fuck, fuck, fuck the police. Yeah. Fuck, fuck, fuck the police. <laughs> uh, my, my 12-year-old suburban white guy that thought he was real because he was into NWA and Easy e feels so cheated. <laughs> you changed, man. You changed, Ice Cube. You were speaking for me and all the other guys out here who... He grew up on the the leaf-strewn streets. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Uh, good stuff. What else you got, man? Um, jeez. I don't know. I mean, we've been gone for an hour seven now. Uh, here was a something that was left on the back burner. I mean, we could fill this in at the end right now. So... I know you don't like Keanu Reeves movies. <laughs> Although Bill and Ted's was on the other day. It was really um, funny. I got a text message from you to say Bill and Ted's is on. There was something else that was... Uh, I mean, I wish I could remember. Oh, I saw a news story today where there's a movie that's ready to be filmed. Daniel Craig was supposed to be in it. It was going to film in Boston. Daniel Craig dropped out. And now, and now Keanu Reeves is going to be in. He's going to be filming in New Orleans. Oh no! So hopefully, hopefully, I'll have some kind of brush with fame, and I'll run to Keanu Reeves. <laughs> you know, and I'll tell him the story, and I'll get a picture, and we'll throw that up. But that's probably not going to happen. All right, I'll but, make um, I'll make a deal with you. What's that? If you can get a picture of Keanu Reeves, you don't even have to be in it. But if you can get a candid of Keanu Reeves on your travels. Around New Orleans, I'll sit and watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Okay, I mean it's amazing that it takes that type of <laughs> that type of deal for you to like watch one of the most awesome movies ever. <laughs> you know, so Keanu will be in town. Here we can see when he shall be in town. The movie's called The Whole Truth. I think it's like they kill his daughter or something. Um, Reeves reportedly will play a lawyer who signs on to defend a teenage client accused of killing his wealthy father. There you go. 
That's what it is. He's an attorney. See, see we'll have something to talk about. <laughs> we'll be able to be, you know, about me being a real lawyer and him being a fake one. Right, you're basically. But, but yeah. as far as movies go, um, you, you, you are a fan of Billy Madison, correct? I am a fan of Billy Madison. All right. Billy Madison, which I consider the Citizen Kane of Adam Sandler movies. You know, like it was his one of his earliest works, and he's gradually gotten crappier since. Yeah, I have uh, to. I have to agree. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. It still was the. Uh, it fits into the classic Sandler mold. It was just a less refined version where it's a moron running around, embarrassing everybody, and being a screw off who eventually falls in love at the end. Right. You know, every Adam Sandler movie. But I was watching that movie, and I was reminded about, um, you know, that the bad guy in the movie is Eric, played by Bradley Whitford. Yes, yes. You know, and that's my first, um, the first encounter, my first association with Bradley Whitford is him playing Eric, the dickhead, in Billy Madison. Right. And after that, he went on to do acclaimed work. You know, he was in the West Wing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And he, he's married to Jane Kaczmarek, but he was in the West Wing, and I think he was, maybe he was the press secretary or something, but I, he might even won an Emmy for that. I don't know. And then he was on that show this season, Trophy Wife. But what I cannot, no matter what he does, I cannot break myself from the fact that everything I see him in, I hate him because he was the bad guy in Billy Madison. <laughs> That's funny. Every time I see him, I... Picture him doing the laugh um, yeah. from Billy Madison. Yeah, that. <laughs> Every time. And I was thinking about other actors who I could never rap, you know, I, I could never get away from. Bradley Cooper it took me a while, but he's done so many other things. But, like, my first, my first encounter with Bradley Cooper was him playing the dickhead in Wedding Crashers. Oh, you're right. And I remember seeing that movie, and I was like, that guy looks like a dickhead. <laughs> like, he looked like that kind of, he was playing that role, and he even looked like him, which is why he was so good in that role as the entitled rich asshole. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I never put two and two together. Yeah, when I, not the first time when I went to see a movie in the theater, I was just like, I was like, man, that guy, I've never seen that guy before, but he looks like he could actually be that dickhead in real life. So, like, The Hangover came out, I was like, Bradley Cooper, that's the dickhead from Wedding Crashers. Do you have... I was was ready for him to be, like, the the most despicable guy in the movie. Do you have anybody else you hate that's not named Bradley? William Zabka. (laughs) Well, come on. He is the Mount Rushmore of guys that you have a first impression of. That never breaks the mold. Yep, he played the bad guy in Karate Kid, the bad guy in Just One of the Guys. Back to School, he was the bad guy. The only movie of the 80s I remember him being in where he wasn't playing a bad guy was... Well, actually, he did turn out to be a bad guy. He was just in absentia. He was Audrey's boyfriend at the very beginning of European Vacation. But you remember he leaves... Yes, he was. cheating. They They never show him again. But while she's in Europe, he breaks up with her. Right. So I guess even then he was technically the bad guy. But uh, but yeah, I can't get around that. But he was in Hot Tub Time Machine. 
Did you see that movie? I did. That's a good movie. What did, who did he play in that? They had him playing William Zabka. <laughs> <laughs> He's won an Oscar. William Zabka has. For pro- it must be for producing. Yeah, it was like for, I think it was like for a documentary short or something like that. Like, it really blew me away because I, I started looking into William Zabka a few years ago because I was like, whatever happened to him? And that guy reformed, he reformed his fake life. <laughs> he, he was a fake dickhead all those times, you know? And, yeah, yeah. And now he's like a successful producer and agent, you know, nom- nominated for one Oscar. Sorry, he didn't win it. He was nominated. Um, 2004 Academy Awards, best short film live action. I'm going to send you his awards page. You can look that up. It, he was, and he the only other nomination he has in his life. He was nominated for the Young Artist Award in 1985 as Best Young Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, Comedy, Adventure, or Drama for the Karate Kid. So there you go, William Zabka, the quintessential 80s baddie. And if you don't know who William Zabka is here, go back and watch Karate Kid, just one of the guys, which was the most awesome movie I ever saw when I was nine years old and, and back to school. Do you remember just one of the guys? Uh, was that the where the chick is the newspaper reporter? Yes. Yes. And it was 1985. So I wasn't even nine yet. And we got out of school. My mom used to own a nursery. And so she took, um, she took my brother, uh, my sisters probably came too, and uh, and a couple other friends of ours, old the older kids, you know. Um, on the last day of school, she took us to a movie. She took us to just one of the guys. <laughs> oh. oh, she was appalled at the end of the movie, and that girl ripped open her shirt to show her boobs. That's the best part of the movie. Yeah, I was like, this is awesome. You know, and my mom, I remember when walking over, she's like, I can't believe that was in there, blah, blah, blah. Because I think another mom might have been with us. And I just remember being all sheepish, like, I thought I was thinking to myself, that was awesome. I couldn't act like I enjoyed it, though. (laughs) You know, you couldn't show any, you know, evidence that you thought it was awesome, even though it was. You're you're eight or nine years old and you're seeing boobs in a big screen. (laughs) Back then, PG, that was when PG-13 was new. They they didn't have the clear delineation yet. Now, if you have boobs in a movie, it's an automatic R. Okay. Well, it's funny um, because... European Vacation was PG-13, which we went to see in the theater, and there were several boobs in that movie. Both? Um, well, I'm going to move off the boobs for a second and go back to um, Billy Zabka. But both... Uh, Did you call him Billy Zabka? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He used to be billed as in his early movies. He, he was billed as uh, as Billy Zabka. Yep. Yeah. No, I know. That's just funny that you called him Billy Zabka. Like, like, like you're one of those guys who calls De Niro Bobby. <laughs> um, Karate Kid and Just One of the Guys has two of my favorite, most annoying secondary characters. And in uh, Karate Kid, it's... It's the it's the Cobra Kai member who um, is enth- overly enthusiastic about the one that tells him to put him in a body bag. Put him in a body bag. Yep. yep put him in a body too. bag. And then the younger brother 
from just one of the guys. Oh, yeah, Billy Jacoby's character, who's the hornball. Yeah, what's his name in the movie? Uh, what is his name? Why don't we just click on it? I want to say Lewis. Yeah, he's he's always... Sherilyn Finn was in that, too, wasn't she? Was that who it was? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because she plays, like, the... The girl who's all into her. Right. And that's when the sister goes, what's the kid's name? Lewis, there's a half-naked girl in my room. Yeah. She's passed out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what's his name? Yeah, Buddy. Buddy, 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 Buddy. Buddy, buddy. yeah. Buddy. Those are my two favorite annoying characters. Yeah. No, in any that, secondary that's role. That's reasonable. They're so uh, over the top. Do you remember the brother in Better Off Dead? No, no, we had this conversation the other day. Remember? Uh, I'm well, I sp- thought you didn't see one crazy summer. No, well, I'm sp- Better Off Dead. I'm spotty on both of them. Uh, the brother in Better Off Dead, because everything in the movie was over the top, you know. Yeah. He's like always like doing all these projects, you know. Like he's building this rocket, like an actual rocket, in his room. He's always ordering all these books on how to do stuff, and they got one scene. You know, he's like a. Th- 12-year-old kid. I got one scene where he opens the... <laughs> the kid opens... The brother, John Cusack, Lane Meyer, opens the door, and he's in there with a bunch of these, like, prostitute-looking women. And he's got, like, a book. It's, like, how to pick up trashy women. On that note. All right. Uh, you got anything uh, else? No, I think we've covered uh, ad nauseum for this week. I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, well, then, apologies uh, to Girk's brother. Yeah. We'll see you guys next up. week. <laughs>